Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Good morning, church. Hope you're well. We prayed, but let's pray again, okay? Uh, Lord, I, uh, I certainly need your help today, and I pray that you'd hide your servant behind the cross. I, I pray that you would speak to us through this beatitude today. I pray that you'd take us on the journey that you have for each and every one of us, and I pray that you'd give us ears to hear, and, uh, eyes to read, and a heart to receive. And I pray that uh, we'll honor you uh, with how we handle your word today. And we'll thank you and praise you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would appreciate your prayers today. Uh, uh, about 10 days ago or so, uh, I went with my wife uh, to uh, the cardiologist. And uh, I have uh, I have damaged heart valves, and, uh, and so this is kind of a, a yearly thing, and uh, uh, this time, as went to the cardiologist, uh, uh, he seems obsessed with my aortic heart valve. And uh, as such, uh, 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 he told uh, my wife, and he was fairly definitive on this, he says, it's, uh, it's not when you'll get a new aortic uh, valve, uh, they'll do the surgery. Uh, he says, it's not if, it's, it's when. And he says, we've got to kind of keep... Uh, uh, an eye on it because uh, when they start to go south, they go south pretty quick. And uh, and then he had me make an appointment for April 10th. So it uh, looks like about every two months uh, I'm going to be seeing my cardiologist. And he's uh, Dr. Safe at the VA. He's a neat guy, nice guy. Uh, I don't mind seeing him at all. Uh, but uh, then you come back and uh, uh, like probably most men, you kind of stuff that, you know but you still try and uh, process it. And I think I was doing pretty good processing it, and then uh, we could go Friday, uh, uh, or maybe it was Thursday, uh, a friend of mine, uh, who we are the same age, uh, uh, Phil Skelly, he was the head of comma services for uh, many years. Uh, he went to Peggy's High School, and uh, but we both graduated uh, the same uh, the same time, he went off to uh, Simpson, where I should have been, and I went off to play and party and have fun uh, playing football, and, uh, and I ended up in the Air Force. So I was always about uh, four or five years behind Phil, even though, uh, even though we were the same age. Anyway, he uh, went out in the evening for a walk and uh, never came home. Uh, he uh, succumbed to uh, a coronary event and went to be with Jesus. And uh, I've done a lot of thinking about that. He's at the party. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with going to be at the party. Uh, but uh, but uh, uh, I have to share with you this morning, uh, I, I've struggled a little bit with that. You know, uh, uh, my parents are both gone, and it's one thing when your parents go, when your contemporaries start going, uh, it makes it a little bit more real. And uh, And so... Uh, struggle with that. 
And I, I don't know if it's the emotions of all that stuff or, or what it is, but uh, a couple days here I haven't felt real well, and uh, uh, this morning I haven't felt real well. And, and uh, I've heard the worst thing you can never do is die in church. Uh, uh, no, it, it, it's kind of a, it shocks people, you know, and I don't think I'm going to die, but, but, uh, but, but you just need to know that there's, there's all this junk going on. And I know that God is greater than the junk, and I know that God's word's definitive, not the cardiologist's word. And we've got to always remember that, you know, I think uh, he wants us to be wise, and we need to hear, and we need to listen. Uh, but at the same time, it's God who has the definitive word on things. And it's God who appoints the numbers of our days. And I really don't think we can add to that or subtract from that. I think that God has, has given us appointed time here on earth, and, and then we get to be with him if we know him as our Lord and Savior. So this morning, as we come to the book of Matthew, I know that one of the last series that Rob did before he left was the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, for the next six weeks, we aren't going to be doing the Sermon on the Mount, but we're going to take an in-depth look at the, at the Beatitudes and, and what they should uh, mean to us. And so today, I, I want to come to you, and I, I want to share with you about the journey that God has for us and, and uh, what uh, he is saying to us through uh, the first uh, uh, Beatitude. Uh, I, I'm not going to give you any formulas today. Uh, I'm not going to give you any techniques. Uh, I don't have any four-step uh, uh, plan for church growth. I don't have a 12-step plan uh, for us this morning. Uh, but what I do have is, is a heart to minister uh, the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and to, to reach lost people in the power of the Holy Spirit. I think there are only two things that remain for eternity. One is the Word of God, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have his living Word in our hands. I think the Word of God uh, will last for all eternity. I also believe that people last for all eternity. They either last for all eternity with God or without God. The choice is ours, but we will last forever. And as we think of that this morning, I, I, I think it communicates to us the, the importance of, of the person and the importance of the person in, in God's uh, eyes and mind. Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, God so loved people, God so loved you and me that he sent his only begotten son. And so this morning I do have a heart to minister the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I do have a heart to minister to people and the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, the older I get, the more and more important the people and the people around me become to me. Uh, I believe that uh, you too have a heart for people. I have seen that here at River of Life. And I've seen the various life-giving ministries here at River of Life. I see the various prayer groups that meet to pray together for uh, uh, the valley and for, for children and, and for families. And, and I see the elders come together and pray for many of you here in the congregation. And I believe that there are hearts here who are 
deeply committed to doing kingdom work and being a part of the kingdom. I believe that God still gives gifts to do kingdom ministry as we work together. And as I look at my own ministry, and uh, uh, it, uh, it has been a fairly long ministry, uh, there are parts that I'm delighted about, there are parts I'm disappointed about, there are parts I'm thrilled about, there are parts that I'm, I'm terrified about, uh, there are parts that I'm victorious in, there are parts that uh, I'm discouraged in, uh, but most of the time in ministry, uh, I'm simply confused. Uh, I am very much aware that his agenda is much different than my own agenda. And so much of the time I am confused, but I have hope for you this morning. Uh, If you're writing anything down and you don't have to, in Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 20, we read these words where he says, A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. Uh, This morning in the prayer group in the back of uh, the building, uh, as we met, uh, uh, one individual shared that uh, there was a person that's really struggling and she's kind of feeling abandoned and so forth. Well, I, I think there's probably more than one individual that feels that way. And if you're feeling that way this morning, I want to give you hope. I want you to know that the Lord says, A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out. And you may feel like a broken reed, or you may feel like a smoldering wick. Uh, You know, you blow out a candle and it doesn't quite go out, but it's not a candle anymore. It just sits there and smokes, and and it's kind of between death and life. And and, and if you're feeling that way, I want you to know that there's, there's hope. If you're hurting this morning, or maybe your ministry is suffering, uh, maybe you used to make music and you don't make music anymore, uh, and you feel maybe like you will never make music again, uh, I have hope for you today, and the hope is in the person of Christ Jesus. God isn't finished with you yet. God isn't finished with me yet. Uh, I have seen it over and over again that you kind of come to the end of something, whatever it is, or someone is taken out of your life, and, uh, and you kind of feel like uh, it, it's over, and yet God isn't finished yet. In my own life, uh, when I uh, graduated from Bible school, uh, uh, we had a wonderful ministry. Our first ministry was to go to Kailua, Hawaii, and plant a church. And uh, we went to Kailua, and uh, I'd been there about uh, 48, 72 hours, and I went for a long walk. Uh, uh, I kind of thought I was going to drop dead on that walk, but uh, I found a, uh, was walking around Enchanted Lakes, and I found a Catholic church, St. John Divinis. And neat things about Catholic churches is they're, they're always open. And I opened the door, and I went in, and I sat down in one of the pews, and and I began to pray there in, uh, in that church that uh, uh, was open. And, and my prayer went something like this, Oh, Lord, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> you know, you, you come out of school, they give you a diploma, you know it all. <clears throat> 48, 72 hours, boots on the ground, and I realized I didn't know anything. 
and, and I sat there, and uh, I wept, and I said, God, what am I doing? Uh, you know, I was so confused that uh, my wife had uh, given birth 10 days before. <laughs> uh, seven days after she had given birth, I left to go do the spiritual thing and plant the church, and I left her in San Francisco uh, with a two-and-a-half-year-old and a newborn. Uh, and her job was to pack everything up and move it. <laughs> yeah, forgive me. <laughs> she did. <laughs> forgive me. Uh, and, and see, when I tell you I'm confused most of the time, it, 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 it's for real. And as I prayed and poured my heart out to the Lord, he assured me that he knew what he was doing. And that if I'd be dependent upon him, he would do it. He gave me a wonderful spiritual dad in the Lord, uh, uh, James Bannister, and Uncle Jim. And he poured into my life, and God poured into my life. And, uh, and miracle of miracles, God allowed a, a church to be planted there and to, to take root. And uh, we went through two building programs. And, and the interesting thing, I didn't realize it at the time, is that when you live in Hawaii... Everyone wants to come visit you. And not only that, every, everyone in the kingdom wants to come visit Hawaii. Uh, we had uh, Roger Stallback uh, speak in our church. We had Tom Landry. Uh, we had Bill Glass. Uh, we had Kenny Poor. We had Tim LaHaye. Uh, we had Ray Stedman. Uh, we had all kinds of guys that God was really using in the, in the kingdom at the time uh, uh, and they spoke in our church for free. Uh, they, they were just glad to come to Hawaii, and I guess maybe then they could write the trip off or something. I don't know. But, but, but it was this phenomena that, that everybody who was anybody seemed to come to Hawaii, and, and we had access to them. Well, after two building programs, uh, I, was, I was spent. I had hit the wall, and... Uh, and God had kind of lifted the burden for Hawaii, and I had visited Utah. And I thought I lived in paradise, but then I saw the land of Zion. And I was hooked. And I was hooked on the fact that there were whole counties without a single Christian church or witness. And I thought, you know, we send people overseas, but we don't send them to Utah. <laughs> and this is just the burden that God put on my heart. And so uh, I found myself in Utah, in Price, Utah, about two hours and 15 minutes from here. Uh, Vern worked there for a while, Vern Downs, and he can probably drive it in an hour and 55 minutes. But, uh, but uh, I, uh, I know they patrol that Highway 6 pretty uh, fervently, and so it, it takes me a little over two hours. Uh, if you see price through the eyes of an outsider, it doesn't look like much. It's kind of in the wilderness. In fact, uh, to the east side, you have the San Rafael Swell and the Outlaw Trail, the Buckhorn Draw, the San Juan River, a lot of petroglyphs. To the west, you have uh, uh, the Wasatch, and uh, you have the Manti LaSalle National Forest, and and, uh, and there's a lot of wilderness. And so for the next 10 years, I found myself in the wilderness. And you know how many 
big Christian names in Christianity come to Price, Utah? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> when I was in Hawaii, my district superintendent came to see me at least once every six months. My 10 years in Price, Utah, my superintendent came to see me once. And he was my friend. <laughs> and he really didn't come to see me. He came to ride dirt bikes. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what we did. And, and that's something that friends do. But while I was in the wilderness, and I said to God, God, why in the world did you call me here from Hawaii to here? And I knew that he had called me, he began to show me. And it was in the wilderness that I had opportunity to go and preach and teach in Australia and New Zealand and, and Japan and, uh, and to do pastor's retreats and all across the U.S. Uh, to do church planting uh, uh, seminars because God had planted a church in Hawaii. God did it in Kailua. We'd gone through two building programs. There was great growth and there continues to be great growth uh, to this day. But God did that. And so I had opportunity to go and share the things that uh, God had done and what he was doing. Awesome things. And it didn't happen while I was in Hawaii. It happened while I was in the wilderness. Uh, today I want us to understand that there's hope in the person of Christ Jesus. And he is our only hope. And today we're going to tackle the Beatitudes, and over the next six weeks we're going to take one Beatitude at a time. And we might as well look at the first Beatitude. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, or your phone, or your tablet, or whatever, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, we read the first Beatitude that says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, as we come to the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew it is the Sermon on the Mount. If we go to Luke, it is the Sermon on the Plain. And all that has to do with is perspective. If you're standing downhill and looking up at Jesus, it's the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> if you happen to be in close to Jesus and you're on the flat spot, it's the Sermon on the Plain. And it's simply a matter of perspective. And many things in our Christian life are simply a matter of perspective. Now, as a teenager, as a young man, uh, for a long time, uh, I have to be honest, I didn't like the Beatitudes. I found it to be hard to be drawn into the Beatitudes. Uh, as we look at the first beatitude, uh, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Another word for blessed is happy. <clears throat> and we're going to see this morning that, that poor in spirit really talks about brokenness. And so, happy are the broke? No. Broke are the broke. And then next week, I'm going to have the privilege of doing happy are the sad. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the sad. I always thought sad were the sad. I didn't see anything happy in here at all. And then the third one, and I think it's Matt that's going to be doing that, uh, is 
Happy are the wimps. I played football. I wrestled. I, I, the wimps, the whiners, in my life, I had no value for them. My thing was cowboy up, you know, tough it out, grit your teeth, you know, don't cry. But the Lord says, happy are the wimps. Uh, For a long time, the Beatitudes were simply wasted on me. And then we took a group of people from Price Chapel out to Alliance Redwoods to a family camp out by Bodega Bay in the heart of the Redwoods uh, uh, near Occidental and Sebastopol. And there was a speaker, Dave Johnson. He was pastoring the Church of the Open Door of the Christian Missionary Alliance at that time. And he began to preach and teach on the Beatitudes And he helped me to understand them in a way that I never understood them before. And much of what I share with you today has to do with the understanding that I got from Dave Johnson. And I begin to understand them, and today I love the Beatitudes. Now, let's kind of understand the setting here this morning, the historical events that led up to this. If you, if you look at Matthew chapter 4, we see that. And, uh, and if we look at uh, uh, Matthew chapter 4 and start with verse 12, it says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which was by the sea uh, in the region of Sebulun, and uh, this was to fulfill that which was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. And what happens in Jesus' life is once John the Baptist, whom he went to, humbled himself, and had John the Baptist baptize him, once John the Baptist is arrested, it's almost as though a starting pistol was fired, and Jesus begins his ministry. Jesus begins to fulfill the whole reason that God had him leave heaven and come to earth. And so we see that with the arrest of John the Baptist, the ministry of Jesus Christ begins. And in verse 17, he begins to preach. And it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, they left their business, they left their livelihood, and they followed him. And Jesus was preaching throughout all of Galilee. If we get to verse 23, we see that he begins to do uh, a kingdom work. For in verse 23, it says, Jesus was going throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness amongst the people. Uh, Jesus was on fire. And as a result of that, Uh, with the Spirit of God heavy upon him and him doing kingdom ministry in Galilee, it says in verse 24 of Matthew 4, the news about Jesus spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those who were suffering, various diseases and pains and demoniacs and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them, and large crowds followed him from Galilee and, uh, and the Decapolis and Jerusalem. 
uh, and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And so from all over, people were coming to, to hear the preaching and to witness the events that were happening as people had their lives turned around. And Jesus does a very interesting thing. If this had happened today, we would have built a bigger building and men would have written a book, 12 Ways to Grow Your Church, and they would start holding seminars from Newark, New Jersey to, uh, to San Francisco, California, all across the nation. And, and there would be big fees to come and learn how to do this. This is how we are. But remember, the Word of God tells us that God's ways aren't man's ways. And so we have people coming from, from the area of the Jordan, from Syria, from Galilee, from Jerusalem. I mean, this would be like uh, people from all over the United States coming to Kansas City. And they were coming. And notice what it says in Matthew 5.1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. He didn't have them come and uh, videotape or film uh, a seminar series. He didn't write a book. Uh, He didn't uh, build a building. It says he went up to the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he began to teach them, saying, and the first thing he says is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, the multitudes were coming for all the wrong reasons. The multitudes were coming to hear the speaker. The multitudes uh, uh, wanted to talk with and and, and wanted to be taught. They wanted to be around uh, uh, his disciples. They wanted some of it to rub off on on them. Uh, uh, They came for for all the wrong reasons. And so what Jesus does is he he goes up to the mountain, and those who were willing to follow, uh, he takes a seat, and he begins to teach them, and he says, the kingdom kingdom is at hand, but, uh, but it's not what you think. And really, he says, I have good news and bad news for you guys. And, and the good news is simply this. All the power, all the healing, all the deliverance, it's all real. And it can be yours. And church, I say this to the church today. All the healing, all the power, it can be ours. <laughs> but... Sometimes we really don't think God can still do all that. But he can. And that's the good news. The bad news is, simply, it's not going to come through the people that you think it will. It's not going to come through the religious. It's not going to come through the pious. It's not going to come through the self-righteous. It's not going to come through the uh, the performers. It's not going to come through the perfect. But it will come through the broken. It'll come through the poor in spirit. The power will flow through the broken. And the thing we need in this day and age is the discernment to know the broken from the performer. Because there are a lot of performers out there. And there aren't so many broken. Because... You know, if I really know Jesus, I'm going to have it all together. 
and, uh, and, and it's going to be me. And a lot of ministry that happens today is done by the flesh, and the flesh reaps what? Death. Death. Ask Phil Skelly. All of us have a certain number of days on earth, and if the Lord doesn't return, it will end. Believe me. And the flesh brings about corruption. But the Spirit gives what? Life. And, and life more abundantly. And so he begins to teach on the kingdom, and we come to this first statement, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The kingdom is for beggars. Uh, if we want to define a broken, a good place to look is Second Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. And in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, it has this to say. It says, such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Folks, our our only hope is in Jesus. Our only adequacy comes through Jesus. It comes through his spirit. It does not come through all the polishing of the apple and and, and the outside. It doesn't come through through, uh, performance. In fact, the Greek word here for poor in spirit, for broken, is the word tokos, which means utterly dependent, utterly broken, no hope. It would be like your vehicle stopped running and the mechanic comes out and says, uh, there's no hope, it will never run again. Period. This is the kind of brokenness that he is talking about here. A poverty of spirit. Those who really know that their only hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus' first words about the kingdom is that the kingdom is for beggars. And that's what he's saying. Uh, He had had confrontation with the Pharisees and with their legalism, with their uh, performance and how they were concerned with how things looked on on the outside while it was rotten on the inside. And this is why he says, you know, you're you're like whitened uh, tombs. You're like whitened sepulchers. You look all white and nice on the outside. (laughs) but you're full of rotting flesh on the inside. Now, that's a word picture, isn't it? And that's what he had to say to them. He came to give comfort to the broken. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes, they defined uh, spirituality. Uh, They were pious. They were religious doers. They even tithed on the dill and the mint and the cumin. That means you would go home to your spice cabinet and you would take 10% of your chili powder, 10% of your cumin, 10% of your garlic powder, 10% of your dill, and you'd bring it all here to the church. That's what the Pharisees did. Uh, God doesn't need our chili powder. <laughs> you realize that, don't you? Uh, they could recite the Bible. They had it up here, but they didn't have it in here. They could recite it, but they weren't living it. They weren't real. 
They weren't allowing it to transform them in their real life. They didn't let the rubber meet the road. And I think we have to ask the questions this morning. You know, I know the word, but do I apply it 24-7? Do I live it out? When uh, something starts to come out of my mouth that shouldn't come out of the mouth, uh, does the Spirit of God check my heart and check that? Or better yet, if it gets out there, do I... Do I go and do something about it? Do I say, I'm sorry? Do I repent, not only to God, but to others? Do I, do, I live, do I live what is between the covers of this book? Not do I know it, but do I live it? Do people see it in my life day in and day out? When I die, what will people say about me? Oh, you can recite the whole Bible. Well, that's wonderful. But what did that do in the lives of others and in the lives of people? Did the rubber meet the road? Well, blessed are the broken, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Uh, brokenness is not something that just happens and happens once. Brokenness is a lifestyle. It's not as much of a, an event as it is a lifestyle. It's a life of total dependence on God each and every day. Brokenness is manifested in our salvation. How does our salvation work? Our salvation works that God begins this process in us. For some, it's longer than others. But this process where we realize that that we need God and, and, and he allows us to come to the end of ourselves And we realize that our only hope is Jesus Christ. And then in that moment, we cry out to him, and he becomes our Savior. We confess our sin, and we ask him to come in, and he is faithful and just to forgive us all unrighteousness. But we don't do that until we come to the end of ourselves. And something that we have lost, I think, in church today is, is testimonies. You know what a testimony is? <laughs> there always has to be a test before there's a testimony. <laughs> but in that, testimonies are the story of how we came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And, and, and there are amazing testimonies out there of people going different directions and And they come to the end of themselves and they realize that their only hope is Jesus Christ. I come to the end of myself and I realize I can't save myself. I I realize that that I need grace. And in Ephesians chapter 2 verses uh, 8 and 9, and many of you can quote this, uh, uh, but it's uh, good to look at it afresh and anew. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 it says, For the By grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man should boast. And so the vilest of sinners can be saved. And the best of men and women who are trying to do it in their own flesh and trying to be good and and just, just trying to be a great person, that will never get us in the door of heaven. That's not a bad thing. But in Isaiah, what did God say that our goodness looks like? 
filthy rags. On our very best day, at our very best point, what we have to offer God is filthy rags, and that won't do it. That's why it took the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so he brings us to the end of ourselves, and we realize that we need grace, that our only hope is Jesus. It's interesting, if you study the cults, all cults have to do with performance. The very same thing that Satan told Adam and Eve in the garden is generally what the cults teach. He came to Eve and he said, if you eat of this fruit, you will become God. And so many of the cults simply say, as man is, God was, as God is, man may become. Wow. What does that appeal to? Our sense of pride. I, on my own, can become a God? Through my goodness, through, through keeping this list of rules and so forth, he gave us the, the law in the Old Testament. And what did he say in 2 Corinthians 3 there? He said, he said that the law kills. All the law does is tell us that we can never measure up. We can never make it on our own. And that's one of the things that drives us to the end of ourselves, to a place of brokenness, that we realize that we need a Savior. And that Savior is the person of Jesus Christ. And when we see that, there is salvation by his Spirit. There is the indwelling presence of his Spirit. We pass from death unto life. We were dead and now we're resurrected. We're regenerated. We're renewed. Uh, We have all these re-words in Scripture. And we come to him by grace in faith. And he becomes our Savior. And then an interesting thing happens. We become a Christian, a Christian, and we begin to try and live the Christian life in our own self-effort. We're going to work out our own salvation, and we're told to do that in fear and trembling, but not in our own self-effort. And we go, I'm going to, I'm going to live the Christian life. I'm going to read uh, uh, one or two chapters of Scripture every day. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I. And and what's the word I'm saying over and over? I. And you see, I has to die. (laughs) I has to become broken. And as we begin to do that, God gives us a wonderful gift. And it's called tiredness. And it's called weariness. And all of a sudden we wake up one day or one night when we can't sleep. And we cry out to God and we say, God, I can't do this anymore. And you know what he says? (laughs) Amen. Praise the Lord. You were never intended to do this on your own. You need to come to the end of yourself. And it's when you come to the end of yourself that you're going to be willing to not only walk by the Spirit, but live by the Spirit. And you're going to open yourself up and say, God, I can't do this. You've got to empty me of my pride and my self-sufficiency and, and all these things that are keeping me from the kind of walk that I ought to have. And, and Lord, please, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. And you know, if we utter that prayer, 
He'll fill us, and he'll fill us to overflowing, and then he will flow through us, and he will work through us, and he will do it, and that big I, that capital I, will become a small I, and we will learn how to die to self. Now, it's an interesting thing. When I got out of the Air Force and went back to Bible school, school taught me that if I wanted to be successful as a pastor, I, I needed to have a, a degree, and, and I, I needed uh, 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 teaching, and, and, and I, I needed to develop a master plan, and, and I needed to work hard. And Now, none of those things are bad, but I want to share with you this morning that none of my degrees have ever saved anybody. None of my degrees have ever healed anybody. None of my degrees have ever caused the, the blind to see. You see, degrees can't do that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, only the Lord can do that kind of stuff. Only the Lord can put a marriage back together. Only the Lord can heal a family. Only a Lord, the Lord can heal a person from the inside out. Only God can do that. And what God is looking for is people who know that they can't, but he can. Amen? And he can. And that is what kingdom ministry is all about. Blessed are the broken, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, I know I'm going too long, but I want to give you some examples. Because I, I, I really believe that God wants this message preached and the enemy doesn't... Uh, and in Matthew 18, uh, not Matthew, Luke 18.10, we read these words. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. We know tax collectors were sinners. I guess we still know that today, too. Uh, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers and unjust and adulterers and even like this tax collector over there. I fast twice a week, and I pay tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was unwilling to even lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, God's ways are not man's ways. Oh, the Pharisee looked pretty good. <laughs> oh, he had all the right things. He had all the right clothing. He had all of that. <laughs> oh, the tax collector realized he didn't have anything. Anything. And he just simply said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. In Genesis 32, 24 through 32, we, we aren't going to turn and look at it because of time, but it's the story of Jacob that we preached on at Pinnell. And here is Jacob. He is a schemer. He is a businessman. He flourished in Laban's household. He was coming back to his home country rich. <laughs> and one night God met him at a place called Pinnell. And all night he wrestled with God. And finally he gave up. And he said, God, bless me. I need you, God. And God touched him in the socket of his hip so that for the rest of his life, Jacob limped everywhere he went. Jacob was broken. 
But at that point, his name was changed to Israel. Jacob, which meant deceiver, liar, was changed to Israel, which means prince of nations. And through that line would come the Messiah, none other than the Jesus Christ, from a man who limped the rest of his life. Do you see where Jesus is coming from this morning? Blessed are the broken, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we still haven't got it, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we have the Apostle Paul. And, and the Apostle Paul tells us uh, uh, many things. He, he tells us uh, in other places his whole, uh, his whole resume, and it was a very impressive resume. But God had to break Paul of all that. And if we come to 2 Corinthians 12, 7, he says, uh, <laughs> he says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave. And the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. Blessed are the broken. God uses the broken. The thorn made Paul dependent upon Jesus Christ. In Matthew 26, 31, you know the story where Jesus comes and, and says, you're all going to be scattered. And Peter stands up and he says, Lord, Lord, I won't be scattered. I, I won't run away. I'll, I'll never deny you. And Jesus says to Peter, you're right. You won't be scattered. You're going to be shattered. Because before the cock crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And we find Peter hits the wall going a hundred miles an hour and splat. Broken. Broken. But we got to remember the rest of the story. And if we turn over to John chapter 21, we see the rest of the story because Jesus had told his disciples to meet him in Galilee. And, and we see that Peter had gone there to wait for Jesus. He wasn't running away. He wasn't being disobedient. He was, he was still seeking the Lord, although very broken. And in John 21, 15, it says, uh, uh, after Jesus had revealed himself and they caught a great number of fish, and, and uh, we see that, uh, that Jesus was definitely a fisherman because right there in Scripture in verse 11, it says, uh, uh, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, not little ones, Large ones. You got that, Barry? It was big fish, like you catch. And he says, and 153. And there were so many, and yet the net wasn't torn. Uh, Jesus had to be a fisherman, or he would have never put that 153 in there. Now, when I was 18 years old, I went to jail for catching 100 trout over the limit. I thought the limit was 10 a day, it was 10 in possession, and had 110 trout, but not 153. 153 big ones. Think of that. And again, Peter was humbled. 
And when they got to the shore and they had breakfast that Jesus had prepared, in verse 15 it says, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He uses the word agape more than these. He said to him, and Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he uses the word phileo for brotherly love. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus asked him if he loved him. The last time, the third time, Jesus said, do you phileo me? And Peter said, yes. I love you like a brother, but that divine love, that agape love, that perfect love, you know, in a heartbeat before this, Peter would have said, oh yeah, I agape you. (laughs) Peter was a broken man. And Jesus said, now you can feed my sheep. Now you can tend my sheep. Now you can feed my sheep. He says, care for the sheep one time. He says, feed the sheep two times. You want to know what's important in life? It's this right here. It's the food. It's the word that's going to last for all eternity. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And so our broken Peter goes out and feeds the sheep. And he's crucified upside down because he's not worthy to die in a manner of his Lord. Blessed are the broken, for theirs is the kingdom of God. As we bring this to conclusion, I want to I leave you with two lessons learned out of the first beatitude. Blessed are the broken, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The first lesson is this. Failure is not final in God's kingdom or economy. Failure is never final in God's kingdom or economy. Having gone through two building programs in Hawaii, like I told you, I hit the windshield going 100 miles an hour. I, I, I went to a very dark place, totally emotionally, spiritually exhausted. But it wasn't the end, because God wasn't finished yet. God took me to the wilderness. God showed me things in the wilderness that he could have never showed me in Hawaii. We need to realize that Peter's crash was the making of his ministry. A good heart is simply a good heart. But when there is brokenness, we stay dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where God wants us to be, dependent upon him. You see, there's another Greek word for broken, and it is the word pentecost, which Scripture doesn't use in the Beatitudes. The definition of Pentecost is broken, but muddling through. Uh, There's a pickup truck that comes up my road, 48 and a half road up there above Mesa. Uh, It's uh, burgundy in color, and uh, it's a V8. And I think it's running on all three cylinders. And it's not a steep incline up our road, but, but every time it comes up, I, I wonder, is it going to make it? Is it going to make it? And you can tell that the person driving it has it floorboarded, and it's flat out 15 miles an hour, if that. That's Pentecost. The person that has many times everything they own, 
in a shopping cart and does not want help because everything they own is in the shopping cart and they're still muddling through? You know, have you found in life you can only help those that want help? You know, you can extend it, but, but they've got to receive it. And there are people that, that muddle through life and they know they're broke, but, but they don't want help. They want to continue muddling through. God is not talking about that kind of brokenness. He's talking about utterly, absolutely broke, where we realize that all hope is beyond us and our only hope is the person of Jesus Christ. Well, how, how do you get broken? And this is the last verse. 1 Peter 5, 6. And before I read it, I have to tell you, I don't know how you get broken. I think only God can do that. But in 1 Peter 5, 6, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. I think we've got to come to him and give it all to him. You know something, my friends, this morning? If in the kingdom of God, if in life we think we're hot stuff, we think we have it all together, we think we have arrived, we think we have succeeded, we have the kind of house that everybody ought to have, we have the kind of vehicle that everybody ought to have, uh, you know, we wear clothes for one season and then give them to someone less fortunate, we think we have it all together. Oh, God, help us. Because I think in many churches today, that's how we are as a people. And we're churning it out week after week in the flesh. And we look around and do we see new babes coming to Christ? Uh, do we see people getting healed? Do we see people getting their marriages put back together? Do, do we see God at work in our midst doing things that only God can do? Maybe not. How do we get humbled? I love A.B. Simpson's definition of humility. He says, humility is not even thinking of oneself. Whoa. That's called dying to self. Brokenness is a lifestyle of total dependence, and yet there are times of breaking. God has to do it, and only God can do it. We work, and we strive, and we get upset, and we get angry, and we get tired, and then we say, I can't do it anymore. And God says, glory, let me fill you with my Holy Spirit and flow through you. We're going to close in prayer, and I'm going to ask the elders that are here, if they would, to come forward and their wives. And, and this morning after we pray, if there are those that maybe you just want to talk to God or you want God, uh, you want someone to pray for you, I, I, I want to invite you to come to the altar I think far too many times we're trying to live it, we're trying to do it in our own strength, in our own performance. And God says, no, 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 no. Blessed are the broken, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, What I'm about to pray is a very dangerous prayer. 
Lord, I think we all have to come to a place where we can pray it. Lord, I pray that you'd break me. Break us. Break us of our self-sufficiency. Break us of our pride. Break us of our arrogance. Break us of the mindset and the attitude that we can do it and we can do it better. Lord, make us servants. Humble us. Break us. Fill us. May we serve in such a way that the only importance is that you get all the glory and that men and women and boys and girls come to know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, break us to the point where we hear and see every opportunity to sow a seed of grace. And Lord, instead of the days being about our own agenda, may May the days become about how and where and when we can sow seeds of grace into the lives of people around us. Help us to never see ourselves as better than anyone else. But Lord, keep us in a place where we always see others and their need. Lord, help us to be lifelong learners of your grace and to experience you. And if, Lord, that means putting a thorn in our life, then, then put that thorn there that when we are weak, we would be strong in you. Lord, we thank you that blessed are the broken, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Teach us the reality of that sentence this morning. And we'll just thank you and praise you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.